It's good to be with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, please take it and turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. If you uh, don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen there for you in a second. Hope you're doing well. Um, Exodus 17, verse 1. This says, here's the word of the Lord. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. And he camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, we'll go ahead and verse 3, but the people thirsted. Actually, go to verse 2. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what should I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand a staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you and there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Masa, which means quarreling or which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, I want you to underline that because that is the question that we are going to answer today. Is the Lord among us or not? The people of Israel asked this question, and God gives them some answers in, by giving them water, and then in a minute, We're going to see by helping them win the battle. We went to student life camp this week. It was a lot of fun. We took 11 of the students and five adults, adults using the term loosely. And uh, we had a really good time. We went down to Cleveland, Tennessee, and we stayed on campus of Lee University. And we were able to do a mission camp. Um, which we, which means at the, the time of the day when they would, we would usually be recreating and doing some fun games, some silly games. Instead, we went out and did a mission project. So we went from, from Cleveland, Tennessee, and we drove into Chattanooga, which is not that far. And we went to this place called Avondale Youth and Family Development Center. And, uh, it was a real good time what we had that week, but it started off a little rough. Um, in the, in the car with me, uh, kind of leading the way was my wife and Jesse May. And we, we, we rolled in and we said, Hey, we're here from student life to the guy in charge. And he was like, who? And we were like, this is not starting out. Well, I, I, he's like, we didn't know you were coming. And I was like, well, they've been setting this up. We've been planning for this for like months. Okay. To come here. And he's like, I don't know what we got for you guys to do. So I got all these kids rolling in with 16 of us ready to do mission work all week. And they had given us like brooms and Windex and all sorts of stuff. And we thought we were cleaning that place from top to bottom. Well, they were about to move out of this place. So they weren't really worried about cleaning it up. And, and also there had been three or four groups that have already come in and done stuff and they didn't have anything for us to do. And so I'm thinking, this is gone. This is the first day of our week. This is not going to be good. I even went out to the car and I called the director of the, of, of student life camp. And I just said, Hey, they told us they didn't know we were coming and they don't have anything for us to do. And then they finally thought, Oh, you know what you could do? You could put up some bulletin boards. And I was like, great. That's going to take 10 minutes. Okay. And I got all these kids. But what happened was 
in the flexibility of just hanging around there, God opened up a mission for us to be able to actually minister to the kids. We had no preparation for that. We had to go to, the, to, to Walmart and buy pipe cleaners and all that kind of stuff. We used to that. We were able to tell the kids the story of Jesus. You should have seen your students. They were all up in there hanging out, loving those kids, pointing them to Jesus. It was a really cool time. But when we were there, when we first rolled up, we thought, this is going to be terrible. Has God not gone before us? Like, we've been planning this thing for months. What is he doing here? God, are you with us? And the answer to the question came really quickly. Yeah, he's there. He just, he comes in his own way and his ways are higher than ours. And that's what we see in this passage. God has led the people of Israel to this place. He led them out of, remember they, they were hungry and he gave them bread and quail to eat. They, they were thirsty before and there was a bitter source of water and he made that bitter source of water sweet. And then just on the next place that they go, when they, we see in verse 17, when they leave the wilderness of sin and they go into Rephidim, they go and they have no water to drink. And so they're thirsty, which many of you right now, because you're probably got a little bit of perspiration going on, it's a little warm in here today. You're probably thinking, I am a little bit thirsty. It's like watching one of those Coke commercials. You didn't even want a Coke before. And then all of a sudden you see the ice cold Coke emerge. You're like, I want that. Okay. And you got to have that. And so they get to this place of thirst and they cry out to Moses in verse, verse two, the people, they quarrel with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. We're thirsty. And Moses said to them, why would you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? In verse 3, it says, but the people, they thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. Now, it's a thirst is a legitimate need, right? We all have to drink. If you don't drink, and, and you can get dehydrated really quickly, and then you can actually die within about four days of not having adequate water. That's, it's a big deal. Your heart rate goes up. Your, your cells are really having a difficult time functioning. You need water. You need enough hydration to live. And they're in this wilderness. It's not coming. So it's a legitimate need. But instead of trusting the Lord, they've gone to a place of quarreling and testing the Lord. Now, this is different than the way the Lord tests us. The Lord tests us in ways to, to, to grow us, to, to see our faith, to refine our faith. When we test the Lord... It's like a kid testing us by directly defying us. I'm going to tell you something. There's not a lot in this world that gets me more hacked, gets me more mad than when you ask a child to do something and they directly defy you. There was a kid at the youth center and and he had been turned on life and I said, hey, don't turn the lights on and off. And so he looked at me and he put his finger up there and I was looking at him. I was like, don't do it. I got a long fuse, buddy, but it got short real quick. And he just went. And so I looked at him and I I was like, I stared through his soul. Okay. I saw the wall behind him and he knew it. And I was like, sit down. And he was like, oh, dude. And he grabbed a seat because there's not much worse than that. And that's the type of testing we have here when the people test the Lord. It's like, who are you to tell me what I'm doing? I'm God. And you're going to quarrel with me. Plus, I've come through for you time and time again. Remember when you were hungry? I made it rain bread. Like, that's not something that happens every day. We've got a lot of water coming from the sky, but you haven't seen, uh, you have not seen some sunbeam falling, have you? Okay. Or a little bit of, you know, oh, look, whole wheat. Okay. He made manna in the last chapter come when they, when they were hungry. Not only that, he made a bunch of quail descend, not because, oh, look at the sweet birds. It was like, kill them and eat them. God had sent for them everything they needed to live. And he has come through time and time again, but the people still quarrel and they test 
the Lord. But here is the thing. Here's what God does. So Moses, when he, in complaining to, to Moses, they're complaining about God. And verse 4, Moses comes and he cries to the Lord in prayer. And he says this. What shall I do with this people, God? They're almost ready to stone me. And the people said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand the staff, which you struck the Nile and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And so the staff represented God's power. And we see that used in when he, when God redeemed the people through Moses out of the Nile, he used this staff to strike the Nile and, and also, this staff has been used in many ways. Okay, he's holding up. He was holding up the staff when they parted through the Red Sea. The staff is going to be used in the next section when they go to battle. The staff represented represents God's presence and power with Moses. And he says, "Take this and walk this staff in front of the people to remind the people that God is with us and God is powerful. And I want you to rock. And I want you to go to a rock. And I want you to hit the rock once." Now, we get back in verse seven. And he called in verse six, it says, so I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he strikes the rock and water begins to flow. And he called the name of the place Masa, which means testing and Merimah, which means quarreling of the people of Israel because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord not among us? See, here's the problem. The problem was not that they had a physical need. God knows our needs. Their problem was they doubted the Lord's presence with them as, as exampled by this, by this question. And God had made a promise and a covenant with them. He has already redeemed them. He has loved them. And he told, I'm going to be with you. He's been with them in many ways. He's redeemed them through the sea. He crushed Pharaoh's armies when they needed water in the first wilderness they went to. They, they got they, the water supply there was bitter and he made it sweet. Then he led him to an oasis and then he led him to a place where there was no food in the wilderness of sin. And then he provided that. So God has been with them. He's been also been leading them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God has been with them, but they begin in their need. They begin to doubt who God is. But here is the, here is the clear thing. Again, there are people that think that there is a disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's, there is no disconnect. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. And here's why I want you to know this. They ask the question, is God not with us? Is he with us or not? Do you know one of the names of Jesus given, prophesied in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 7, and fully seen in Matthew 1, 21, or 1, when Joseph names Jesus? His name literally means Emmanuel. He is called Emmanuel. That is the name of Jesus. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. So God's been with the people in the Old Testament. And now in a more unique way, God has been with us in Jesus. He's come to earth as a human, fully God and fully man to pay our price. But now God is with us after he has risen and ascended because he sent the Holy Spirit and he is with us. And so here's what I want you to say. Every one of us gets to a point in life and all of these stories are meant to help us to see how we walk in our Christian life, that we might not walk in sin, but we might not, that we would walk in truth. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's told us before that all of these Old Testament examples in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6, it says this, now these things took place, all of the ex 
Exodus events as examples or types for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Now, also in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, I... Now these things happen to them as example, all these Old Testament wilderness wanderings, but they were written down for our instructions to whom the end is coming. So I want to just be completely clear with you. The question that the people ask is a question that we ask still today, even though we know the truth. God, are you here? When life gets tough, when we are experiencing battles, when we are experiencing lack, when we are experiencing victory, when we are experiencing, God, where are you? And the answer has been the same. God is with his people. He's been with his people in different ways throughout the the Bible and throughout the revelation of scripture. But it's been true. God is with his people. And to doubt his presence is always a temptation for us. But when 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 we get to that place of unbelief, we have to believe something greater than our feelings. That God really is with us. And not only that, he is with us. Remember, what did Moses do to get water? He had a staff, and what did he do? He struck a rock. He did what God told him to do. That same 1 Corinthians passage, I want to back up to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 4 says this. For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud. So Paul, writing in the New Testament to a church, is saying, our brothers in faith, the Old Testament saints, the people of Israel, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud, which means they walked in God's presence, him leading, and all passed through the sea, which is talking about when he parted the sea so they could walk across on dry land. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay, so they went through the valley of death, which was the water. And how do we know it was the valley of death? Because as soon as they walked through, he crushed Pharaoh's army in there. And so there was a baptism of sorts. In verse 3, Paul says, and they all ate the same spiritual food. So the manna and the quail that came, it was they were not just getting their needs, their physical need met, but God was nourishing their soul, reminding them that he's the provider and the one who gives them everything they need for life. Then, verse 4, this is going to get a little weird for a minute. I even mentioned this to my wife this morning. She was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, it's in the Bible. you got to wait for the sermon. Verse 4, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. This passage is referring back to Exodus 17, where we're reading now. So the, the water that they were drinking was literal, but it reminded them that God was going to provide for their spiritual needs as well. Then it gets real weird. For they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed them. And the rock was Christ. What? <laughs> so Moses, when he was walking with the staff, which represented the presence of the power of the God, he walks up to this rock and he hits the rock and the rock gives forth water. Now, I want you to know this. They needed the water to live. Remember, we talked about it. You can't live more than three days without water. You're going to die. Your body will dehydrate. You, your body will cease to function. So they needed this to live. And so what happens is Moses, with the power of God, strikes this rock which is a symbol of christ being with his people and from this rock after it's been struck comes life-giving water 
that the people need to survive. And this is not, this is a example. They got real physical, literal water. God worked a miracle, but it was pointing to a spiritual truth. Now, Jesus in John chapter four is sitting at a well. You may remember this story. It's hot. It's the middle of the day. All of his, all of his peeps, the disciples have gone into town to get supplies and he's sitting there by himself and a Samaritan woman approaches and he says, can you give me a drink? And she's like, whoa, this time it was a really big deal for a Jewish rabbi to talk to a Samaritan woman. Men and women didn't usually have in this particular culture, didn't use, uh, especially if they were unmarried, they didn't usually have conversations with each other. Also, there was a big gap between Jews and Samaritans because of the cultural differences and the religious differences. The Jews, the Jews were, were fully in the religion of the Hebrews. However, the Samaritans had mixed it. Uh, they were a mixed, a mixed race, and they had, they had intermarried with the people of Canaan. And so they were considered as lesser than the Jews, and they had different spiritual background and beliefs. And Jesus, to talk to her, surprised her, and he said, would you give me a drink? And, and he says, and she says, how is it that you, a Jewish man, ask me a Samaritan woman? And so he flips the script. And you know what he says when he flips the script? He says, if you know who I am, you would have asked me for a drink. And I would have given you a spiritual drink and you will never thirst again. And she was like, sir, this water, this well is super deep and you got nothing to draw with. And what is Jesus talking about? Jesus in himself and his work and his eventual crucifixion and resurrection and his ascension and his coming again. Jesus' finished work and his power is enough to satisfy us. Not just physically like water can, but spiritually give us everything we need. And so it's not weird to think that living water, water that, get, that, that, that will sustain our life but will give us eternal life, it's not weird to think that comes from Jesus. And when he's saying he's the rock, God in God, the son was, was present in this situation with the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 17. He was represented in the rock. Somehow Christ's presence was in that rock. And here's what God strikes the rock. Remember who afflicted Jesus and crushed Jesus for our sins. God, the father does. So through a strike comes living water. So even in the Old Testament, God is telling us we need a spiritual life that only God can give. And now we see it clearly that Jesus was that rock there and represented a a satisfaction of our physical needs and our spiritual needs in Christ. And so here is this fact that you need to know in your life as you're walking. God is if you are in Christ, I want to be very clear. If you're not in Christ, you're still an enemy of God and you need reconciliation. It's available in Jesus by faith alone in him and what he's done. But if you're in Christ, believer, God is with you. But Matt, I don't feel like it. I feel like my whole world's falling apart. I don't see that he's here. How can he be here with all this stuff? I don't, I, I tell you this and I tell you this in love. Your feelings will always deceive you. The truth is the truth and you fight your feelings with the truth and he is with you. He was with the people of Israel. He was present in the rock, which that's a crazy thing. He's been with his people in the old Testament. He has been with his people in the new Testament. He will be with his people forever. He has made promises that he will not, not turn back on. And he is with you, man. I just don't feel it, man. 
I walk into church, I just don't feel it. I feel kind of flatlined. I don't feel any spiritual power. I don't feel like I'm in Christ. I don't feel this. I can ask you several questions like, are you in the word? Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? Are you living in a way contrary to the scripture? Well, that, there's, God's working in you in that. But I really want to say this. Just because you don't feel like you're in Christ does not necessarily mean you're not in Christ. Remember, we fight truth. If you've come to the place where you're clinging to and trusting Jesus and Jesus alone, and you're trusting him for every moment, every day, and his finished work, you're in him. Whether you feel like it or not, he is with you in your dark moments, in your victories. He is with you. It's Emmanuel seen not just in the New Testament, but it is seen in the Old Testament. God is with his people because they named this place. This is going to be a great name for a place. Okay. It's quarreling and testing. That's a town you don't want to go to. It's like going to a place called, you know, Stink Bottom Lake, okay, or, you know, Snake River, okay, or Water Moccasin Alley. Just stick clear, okay? Or like Cesspool Pool, okay? Don't want to go to that one, okay? There was a church, and if you, if you know, this is going to be for those of you who are Bible, Bible people, you'll understand this. There's a church in Kentucky, in Frankfurt, called Corinth Baptist Church. If you ever read the Bible, Corinth is like the worst church in the Bible. They got some whack Jerry Springer stuff happening in that place. Okay. They, I'm telling you the truth. They got like, they got a guy dating his stepmom. It's jacked up. Okay. And his dad's like, stop. And then the church is like, it's a bad news. And so you name your church Corinth. It's like naming it like, we really stink church. Okay judgmental church. Okay. <laughs> you're not welcome church. Okay. Any like, you know what I mean? The spirit has left the building church. That is this. You don't want to go to the place of quarreling and testing. And they call that there for a reason to remind the people. Cause they ask the question, is God with us or not? He's obviously there. Do you know why? Why he met their need? He did not give up on them. And so I want you to just, God is with us. And I want to see three different things here. I want you to see this, that God is with us. And now we can see this more clearly than they can. They had shadows and we have the fullness of Christ. And we know we are indwelt with the spirit of God if we are in him. So God is with us. So that means God is with us when we test and we quarrel with him. When we put him to the test, when we act like that kid, when we directly disobey, when we directly, we've seen him come through for us time and time again, and we go, are we going to die now? Why did you bring us here? Why did you bring us out of this thirsty land? Why? When we are putting the Lord to the test, God is still with us. And here's the good news. He is there to correct us because he doesn't leave them in their, their misconception of who he is, right? He is there to correct us and he's there to remind us of the greatness of his provision and presence with us. Because I don't know about you, but if you're in a desert, which is known for not having a lot of water, and then all of a sudden somebody strikes a rock and a flow of water comes out, it's pretty impressive. That's miraculous. God is showing his amazing, his amazing provision for you. And it's all of grace. You know why? Did the people deserve it? They had just seen bread rain from heaven. They had seen quail 
come and hang out to be killed. They had seen God redeem them out of the, out of the greatest superpower in the world that time from Egypt. He crushed the army. He has done all this stuff. And then they're in unbelief. Do you know what they deserve? A backhand. But you know what they get? Here's some water. God is amazing in his provision and he is with us in our testing and our quarreling there to correct us and to remind us again of his great provision and his great care for us. God is with us in our testing and quarreling with him. Here's the thing. We go to, we go to camp every year and we have here, I guess this, this is four years in a row we've done the camp, Mitch. Four years in a row camp. And here's what happens. And if you've ever been to camp as a kid or you've been to participate in that, you come back on a spiritual high. And you're just like, man, Jesus is amazing. He is awesome. I want to live for him. 